I love uh, part of the words from that first song that we sang. And, and um, you know, I, I'm not sure how you all were so good at standing still during that song. Um, it made me just want to want to want to dance um, as I hear those words. But uh, but it reminds us we are the church. We are the place where heaven and earth are to interact. We are the hope. Think about that. Look around at the folks that are gathered with you here um, and think about that. We are the church. We are the hope. And yet, so many times we get a bit confused, don't we? Uh, we tend to think that when we gather together um, that this is, uh, is just a place to uh, protect ourselves, to be a fortress, uh, a, a place where we celebrate uh, that we're already in, rather than a place that we gather in order to be refreshed and revived so that we might invite more and more people to join us during the journey. Uh, so often we get confused in the church and we confuse uh, things that are intended to be means with being the ends in themselves. We've done an awful lot uh, of studying and conversation uh, around prayer and scripture and worship over the last three weeks, especially if you've been a part of the study group. And yet sometimes we think that those things that are intended to be means are actually the ends. They are the, the goals toward which we, we celebrate the fact that we have done them. We put a check mark off and we expect uh, that God will take notice. When those things, those, those practices are really means to an end. Sometimes we think things that are, are the beginning, we treat them as if they're the ending. Sometimes we act as if our baptism and our membership in the church is the end of our journey. We've been baptized, we've joined a church, we have come to the completion of our journey. When both of those things are intended to be beginnings of our journey. They are just the beginning uh, uh, of the earnest participation in God's uh, ministry to the world. But you know, we are not alone. Unfortunately, throughout the history of the people of God, all the way back to Abraham, this has been an issue within the church. And so even if, if you're thinking, well, that's not an issue here, uh, it, it's not an issue with this congregation or this community, it's always good for us to be reminded so that we don't fall into such complacency and such ways of thinking. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to read from Isaiah 58. And when we're done with this, you, you tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, but back in the days of Isaiah, you may remember uh, this is in the times of kings where, where Israel was now a nation and they had, had, they had uh, uh, kings who were ruling over them. Um, they were still called to be the people of God, but over and over again they had failed. And so the prophets in these days were sent to give the people a warning. Um, they were sent in times when the people had become complacent uh, to challenge them. And so uh, Isaiah 58 begins this way. Shout loudly, don't hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah, and he's telling Isaiah, in essence, uh, to, to blow the trumpet 
to blow the trumpet in the community. And in these days, when the trumpet was blown in a community, it meant that everybody was supposed to drop what they were doing and pay attention, gather together wherever the trumpet was coming from to hear the important news. And so, in essence, God is saying to Isaiah, blow the trumpet, get the people's attention, get them to stop and to listen. And so what was the great uh, news or message that Isaiah had for the people? Well, it says, God says to Isaiah, announce to my people their crime. Announce to my people their crime to the house of Jacob their sins. In other words, God wanted uh, Isaiah to gather the people and he wanted to make them aware of how they were failing and rebelling against God. And so this is what God said uh, to say to the people. They seek me day after day, desiring knowledge of my ways, like a nation that acted righteously, that didn't abandon their God. They ask me for righteous judgment, wanting to be close to God. Now, wait a second. That doesn't sound like crimes and sins to me, does it? Doesn't that sound like the things we've been talking about? Uh, A prayer and study of Scripture and worship, and yet Isaiah is being uh, called to challenge the people uh, about these very things. And he continues... And, and the people were, and, and says, this is what the people were saying as they did these things. They were saying, why do we fast and you don't see? Why afflict ourselves and you don't notice? In other words, the people were saying to God, look at us. We're fasting, we're tithing, we're in the scriptures, we're praying, we're worshiping. What good is it? You're not paying any attention to us. You're not putting the check mark by our name that says we fulfilled our requirements. You're not doing the things we want you to do. And the implied is for us, for me. You're not doing such things. And so the people were doing all of these wonderful, important things except that their intention was they thought that they were the ends. They thought that by doing them, they were gaining favor with God. That in some way, by doing them, they would get God's attention. And this is what God goes on to tell Isaiah to tell the people. He says, yeah, you do all these things, right? Yet on your fast day, you do whatever you want, and you oppress your workers. You take the Sabbath to celebrate, but your workers who aren't Jewish, you make them work on the Sabbath. You, you oppress, you quarrel and you brawl, and then you fast. You hit each other violently with your fist. You shouldn't fast as you are doing today if you want to make your voice heard on high. In other words, God is saying to the people, you're not allowing these practices to be effective in your lives. You think that there are an ends instead of a means. You're not allowing them to shape your behaviors and your actions. Do you hear that? 
He's saying, yes, you read scripture, you pray, you come to church, and then you leave church, and you're quarrelsome and hateful, and you do violence to other people, whether physical or verbal or whatever. But God is saying to the people, it does no good to give lip service if you are not allowing these things, these gifts, these practices that I have given you, if you are not allowing them to change you and shape you in the very depths of your being. And so he goes on, and he says, he says this to the people, is this the kind of fast that I chose. This is the kind of fast that I chose. A day, a, a day of self-affliction, of bending one's head like a reed, of lying down in mourning clothes and ashes. Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Uh, in verse 6, he says, isn't this the fast that I chose? Releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke. Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless uh, poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? You see, God is saying to the people in the day of Isaiah uh, that, that this is the kind of activity and behavior that he anticipates will come out of the spiritual practices, out of the acts of piety, of prayer and study and worship. These practices are intended to be a means, not an ends. They are intended uh, to be a means in which we ponder our own brokenness in which we renew our own dependence on God, being reminded that we, can't do, uh, we, that we can't do everything in our own power, that in fact, if we are to be a good force in the world, that we need to be dependent on God. These are the means through which we open ourselves up to the transforming grace of God and the Holy Spirit. So that we can indeed become people who live and love like Jesus. Not just people who say that's what we want and then live a different way. These are the means that enable us and empower us to go and to participate in God's mission. To restore and redeem and to reconcile. To participate in God's mission to offer a hope and healing and wholeness to people. See, he says, these practices should become actions. They should become acts of mercy in which we begin by our actions and our words and our deeds and our invitation, in which we begin to set people free, in which we break the chains of injustice, in which we seek to overcome um, the, the yoke of the world, those things uh, that we place on each other that actually uh, drag us down and hold us back. They are practices that are intended to remove our contempt and scorn uh, that we direct toward other people and instead enable us to be more hospitable 
toward even strangers and enemies. They are practices that should um, send us forth into the world to truly alleviate hunger and homelessness, to, to do what we can uh, to, to eliminate um, food insecurity and housing insecurity. For you see, we are always reminded that God is a good God, a generous God who gives over and over and over to people who cannot um, give back as much as God has given to them. And so he calls his people to be a generous people. He calls his people uh, to be uh, servants of others in the world. He calls his people to participate in invitational, or as I like to call it, relational evangelism. It's really simple evangelism. It's just getting to know people you don't already know and learn something about their lives. And then just share your own life with them so that when they see the way you live, they begin to wonder what it is and what journey you are on, so they want to join you in that journey. And so today, I hope as we hear Isaiah, I hope we hear God's call to us today. Yes, pray, study your scripture and worship. He's not saying don't do any of those. But let us do those for the intent of opening ourselves and allowing the Spirit to work within us so that we are sent forth to do acts of mercy, as John Wesley would say. So that we use all that we have been blessed with, our, our hands, our finances, that we use it all wisely and for God's kingdom work. So that we seek to discover how God has gifted us. So that we might give back to our community, uh, to, to our church and to our community. And so today, as, as we hear these words, I just, I just want to challenge us to take time this week uh, to, to spend time with God and, and to ask God, um, is, is there a place where you might have me serve? Is there a way that I might be more generous with what I have? Are there neighbors that I need to uh, learn and meet or folks that I need to engage? Do I need to step outside my normal circles and create space so that I can meet new people and learn about them? There's plenty of opportunities, aren't there? There are plenty of opportunities in our community, and I, I hold us up as a congregation. If you, if you look at the things uh, that have come out of this congregation uh, during the last 18 months, I, I can't be prouder uh, about the places where we have sought to reach out to other people. We reached out to people at the village, and we, we sought to be a, a face and a source where they could experience joy in this time when they felt isolated. Uh, and many folks participated in that. We have here recently begun to, to do Tuesday night meals in which we are offering meals to folks 
mainly targeting folks who, who are food insecure, but really opening it up to anybody who wants to come, uh, to come and to have a, a meal on a Tuesday evening, inviting those within our congregation to come and to participate and, and to sit with folks that you may not know or may not normally encounter just to learn about their stories. These are simple ways that we can serve and we can encounter God because in other people, at least for me, in engaging other people, I often engage the voice of God and the face of God. There's the opportunity that you'll have to sign up to help with the Tuesday luncheon. Another opportunity uh, that if you heard Michael speak, um, it's not just about the food. People said they're hungry to interact. They're hungry to have a space where they can just get out and interact with other people. What a wonderful opportunity for us as a church uh, to help the young at hearts and at the same time begin to learn the practice of invitational evangelism. Now, I don't mean to come with your card and, and go around every table and say, Haiti and oh Jesus, come to church here. Okay. I mean by invitational evangelism to sit and to listen. Because you know evangelism begins with these, not with this. You do know that, right? Evangelism begins when we hear what other people are experiencing and what their needs are. And then after that, we might speak, but probably the next step is to use these and these, right, to go to the places where we can serve folks. And then after we've done that and they've experienced the love of God, they're likely to ask us, why are you doing all of this? And that's our opportunity to speak and to say, because God first loved me. And I'm simply trying to give back that which I have experienced. Because I'm on this journey that's made a difference in my life. And, and, and I hope that it will have a difference in your lives. You see, God calls and gifts all of us at different seasons in our life. I, I have this vision of how it should be. Uh, now, everybody may not agree with me. I, I think I was sharing this. I may have been sharing this with Morgan this week. You, you know, when you serve in the church, I got this ideal way of how it's supposed to work. You, you all tell me if you think this makes sense to you. But see, if you're an empty nester, um, you ought to be working in the children's ministry. Because you've already raised kids. And you're a lot smarter than their parents, I hope, anyway, because you've been through it. And if you have kids that are in elementary school, you ought to be working with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers so you're prepared for what's going to come. Because it's really good to be prepared, trust me. Um, you, you know, I didn't do this intentionally, but that's kind of um, how uh, when our kids were young, I, I worked with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and boy, did it prepare me for my kids. Um, that's why they're so perfect today, right? <laughs> yeah just in case they're online. Um, so, <laughs> uh, does that make sense? And then when we're retired, we're not done working for God, are we? Right? When we're retired, that's the opportunity for us to step back and to really listen to God about what passions he's put on our hearts because now we got a bit more time, I think. I'll find out here in a little bit. 
Uh, but but it, it, it's an opportunity for us to, to take a step back, to listen to God, to discover uh, where, where our passions might be, and then to focus on just one or two things and, and to coordinate those things. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, I think I can mention, I'll just say Paul. I won't say his last name. Uh, somebody in the congregation who's planning on retiring in April has already come to me, and we've already sat down. He's already got plans as to what he's doing. Like, I don't even think he's taken a day to put his feet up. I don't know. Uh, but he has this plan, this vision for what can be done, not just through this church, but through the community. He wants to begin um, what, what he wants to call God's helping hands. A, a group of people who, who will use their gifts and skills to make things to help people who need ramps. Or, or maybe even if, if this vision goes way out there in the ways that he and I have talked about, maybe even build houses that enable people who, who just can't get over the hump to have affordable housing so that they might be more secure. Now, isn't that pretty awesome? And I know some of you have talked to me this week about me talking about retirement, and some of you have all like, yeah, um, that's good that you're just going to go take a break. Well, here's the thing. Um, I, I'm going to take a break from being a, a, a lead pastor, but God's already nudging me. I mean, God works that way. I, I mean, over my 17 years of ministry, I, I have complained about this and that, okay? And now God's saying, Hey, you're going to have some time. Maybe you can work on some of that stuff, right? Um, and, and bless Don's heart. Where is she? Bless Don's heart. Um, I've talked to her, and, and she has probably heard me until she just wants to cry talk about how terrible children's curriculum is in the Methodist church. And so I don't know if, if the spirit prodded her or she's just like, you know, but she, she's like, um, you know, you're going to have some time. Hey, have you thought about working on children's curriculum? Well, as a matter of fact, it's a possibility. Uh, but do you, do you see how God uses us in all phases of our lives? Um, and, and for those, um, uh, so I just want to challenge us. Maybe you don't think that's the way it ought to work. Uh, but, you know, it seems to me that when people retire from their jobs, the church ought to get um, more servants. The church ought to get more staff folks, unpaid staff folks, because they've heard the call of God and they've heard the passion of God and they know where God is leading them and the things God is leading them to do. It might be going to sit with somebody uh, while a family can go to a funeral. It may be giving a ride to somebody who uh, just needs uh, to get to uh, treatments with the doctor. There's just all kinds of things and all kinds of needs in the congregation and all kinds of different people that are called to do different things. And so if nothing else today, if nothing else, please hear and listen for the Spirit of God. We seek to walk the disciples' path, not just so we might get to heaven when we die, but we seek to walk the disciples' path so that we, here and now, might begin to live and to love like Jesus and to make a lasting positive difference in the lives of other people.
And guess what? When we begin to do that, we experience a joy that is unspeakable. I love these words at the end of Isaiah. Um, I think it begins in 58. And so this is, so Isaiah doesn't just, you know, he doesn't just challenge the people and say, um, you know, here's, here's, what you're, here's what you're doing wrong. He paints a picture that uh, I, I just want you to grasp this picture. When we, when we fast, when we, allow, when we allow God to change and transform us and to, and to uh, reveal to us how we have been gifted and where we might serve in his kingdom work, he says, then your light will break out like the dawn and you will be healed quickly and your own righteousness will walk before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the yoke from among you and the finger pointing and the wicked speech, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like noon. The Lord will guide you continually and provide for you even in parched places. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. They will rebuild ancient ruins on your account. The foundations of generations will pass. Generations past you will restore. You will be called mender of broken walls and restorer of livable streets. Do you hear that? The results of living in that way is that, is that light will split into the darkness, will, will shine into the darkness. New skin will stretch over the wounds of people. We will be guided. We will know the voice of God. We will be a light shining in the darkness. We will be a beacon of hope for a hurting, discouraged world. Instead of being a bush in a desert consumed by self-preservation and survival, just trying to hang on so that we can continue to meet as a church, we will become a watered garden bursting forth with rich supply. We will be a spring of water that never stops flowing. A spring of water that will give restoration and renewal a source of healing and hope and wholeness. And we will not be called some of those things that Christians and the church are called today, like hypocrites and hateful people. We will be called menders of broken, of broken walls, healers of broken lives, restorers of livable streets, restorers of hope and life. We will be a place where discouraged people come and they receive hope. We will be a place where people with broken lives who are hurting and have been harmed by the world or even by the church find healing. We will be a place where people discover the wholeness and the abundance of life that God intended for us to live now. Not just in eternity after we die. People's lives will be changed. And we will make a lasting positive difference in the lives of other people. Now, I don't know about you all. But that's a vision. That's a vision of who 
I hope that we become, as a church, a people that don't just talk about living and loving like Jesus, but a people who do it and are known as menders of broken hearts, of restorers of hope, as a place where we once again set aside our fragmented lives and become whole. May it be your vision today and every day. Amen.